0: Well, this morning uh, is a real practical time together, and we're going to talk about deacons. And so, just by introduction, I I want to read to you that story over in uh, Acts uh, chapter 8, where uh, uh, Philip comes upon this Ethiopian eunuch. Acts 8, verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, And go toward the south. Ben, are you in here close? Uh, Where's a good iPhone person? Get this to my Bible and fix my screen where it will quit going off. It keeps. I I have trouble with these things. Uh, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, unto the way that thou goest down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. And said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer. So opened he not his mouth in his humiliation. His judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Father, as uh, we come before you and consider um, the need of the church, Lord, I want to ask that you would, by your spirit, uh, stir us up. Uh, to good works, uh, in Jesus' name, Amen. All right. So, thanks, Ben. Is Ringing? Huh? It can ring. It's all right. Okay. There. Thank you. Very much. It will switch off. It won't switch off. Thank you. Okay. So, uh, the end result here is going to be down at the bottom of the page. You see a, you see several uh, different ministries of the church, and our hope is to kind of motivate everybody here to step up and take new ownership of different areas of the church doing the work of deacons and then ultimately out of that uh, for Kent to get some help by the way Kent anything that you want to uh, uh, throw in as we're moving along feel free and you may be more inclined to, to speak up near the end of it in those practical things but anything else of course you're more than welcome to do it so so let's let's look at this Ethiopian unit what does he Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, it's good. Uh, so let's let's look at this Ethiopian eunuch. I, I think this is kind of nice. Uh, of course, the place that he's reading in the scripture is uh, in Isaiah. And this is the place where we uh, come to understand Jesus as the uh, suffering servant. Uh, you know, throughout the Old Testament, we see him as prophet, priest, and king. Uh, but I think it was Steve Humble who pointed out to me one time that that there should also be in the Old Testament his ministry as a suffering servant. And I think traditionally this is where you sort of center on Christ as a suffering servant. Of course that word servant uh, being somewhat the same as a deacon. And so what I want to do today is we're going to talk about deacons. Uh, We're going to talk about how it's rooted in the character and nature of God. And all that we do here... We want to make sure that we are coming to know God. We don't just respond to a need; that need presses us into something, and then we press back and we find God. So, so we want to talk about God. That that'll be the first point. But then the second thing, the whole ministry of deacon grows out of a general culture of servitude. It is something that that is observed as you are among the people serving. All the people are serving. Uh, But you find a person that's capable and able in a certain area and given in a certain area, and you place them there. So, the character and nature of God, point one, becomes all of our nature and becomes character. And then out of that, we identify people who can take specific responsibility and be ordained as deacons. Got that? Does that make sense? And this is sort of the process that we try to live in. Allow God to live in us and out of God living in us, manifesting and others observing and saying, Aha, this is who I am. This is what I need to be doing. And if I just quit and you understood that and we moved on, uh, it would be fine. But I think this story uh, about the Ethiopian eunuch is pretty interesting uh, for several reasons. And I just wanted to start here because it was interesting to me. Um, First of all, the Ethiopian eunuch was... A servant. He was a servant to Candace in Ethiopia, and it just so happens that this servant has opened up his Bible. Now he's in Jerusalem and he's worshipping. Uh, there's a probability. There's a strong probability that he is a. He was either a, a, a Jew who had been captured and made a slave, or he was a convert, more than likely, uh, or the third possibility is. They worshiped more than one thing down there in Ethiopia, and he may have just come up. Uh, and a lot of people would do that. They would come up and worship this God as well. So we really don't know for sure, absolutely, uh, why he was there worshiping God, but he was. And he was reading Isaiah, trying to understand more uh, about this faith. And he comes across this prophet saying, Somebody's going to die, and somebody's going to suffer. And he's like, what is this all about? And then Philip comes and explains to him, hey, this is Jesus. This is our God. Can you imagine an Ethiopian eunuch? You know what a eunuch is? Uh, He had been probably made a eunuch uh, so that as he was close to Candace, the queen, uh, that it would be a safe situation. And so here he is, his whole life has been given to serving this queen. And he knows what it's like to be second or third or a servant to somebody else. He also is aware of many different kinds of gods. He's getting to know this God of Israel. And he reads this prophet and it's like, what is this all about? And Philip explains to him, The whole story of God becoming man, serving man, and dying. What would that do inside a person who knew what servant was? A person who knew what it was to lay their life down daily for their queen to all of a sudden hear that there's a celestial king who did just the opposite. Whoa, what freedom! What liberation! It's awesome. And so, uh, I I also think it's interesting. Well, I'll I'll save that interesting point for later. Because it gets boring. So, I have one more interesting point. So, I'll save that for later on. Uh, And so, he preached unto him Jesus uh, out of that portion of scripture. So, I think it's kind of neat to see how someone who understands servanthood, when Jesus is presented as a servant, a God who serves it captures his heart, and he decides to come into the kingdom. I personally believe that the world is in bondage to sin, that they are slaves. And then, if we can present to them a God who's willing to come down and take their bondage upon himself, to take the, the penalty that put them in debt on himself, I think we'll have the same results as as uh, Philip had, as he shared. And so this ministry of deacon is not necessarily just doing the work. It's demonstrating the character and nature of God himself, and in that, people come to the kingdom of God. So, let's see. Throw that up against the disciples, trying to understand the same thing. I think this is funny over and I'm still in the introduction Luke chapter 22 in verse 21 and 22 and 23 what happens is Jesus says one of you is going to betray me and then they ask they start talking about I wonder who it is and then verse 24 says, And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. Isn't that interesting? Jesus says, One of you will betray me. Who's it going to be? I don't know. Who do you think is going to be? I don't know. I wonder who's going to be greatest. I think I'll be the greatest. It just naturally goes to the place of, Well, I'm not going to betray him. I'm probably going to be the great. Look, I'm going to be great. That is sort of the mentality that we all live in. We want a position that gives us freedom from serving others. We want to be free from the responsibility of life. We want to be able to command others to do and not be commanded to do. Does that make sense? That's just human nature. If, if you haven't lived long enough to to be honest with yourself about that, then may God bless you and give you a long life and may you prosper. <laughs> And so Jesus tries to explain to them, and he says, The Gentiles exercise lordship over them, uh, and they exercise authority upon them. They are called benefactors. But you shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. I am among you as he that serveth. I live my life among you as one who serves. This servant, when he heard the gospel, after the resurrection, said, Wow, that's God. I want to follow him. The particular servant that Jesus is going to perform is dying on the cross And until the cross, these guys could not fully embrace what it means to be that suffering servant for other people. And so they have this discussion. Jesus explains to them. Peter says, I'll never forsake you. Yet when it comes to that time and they come to the cross, they can't all, none of them can hang with Jesus to the very end. It was not within them to take themselves off of the throne and become a servant but this story after the, after the resurrection and the power of the spirit comes uh, then salvation is possible and so we are all bound in wanting to be our own kings we want somebody to make us king, we want a God that will serve us to make us independent of others and to live our life in absolute freedom responsibility but what we have is a God who came and took total responsibility for everything so we could be free from our desire to be free does that make sense the freedom we want is the freedom to serve we want to be free from always striving to subdue everybody else to serve us to be put into that place where we can freely give our lives to others. Does that make sense? So we're talking about becoming deacons. A deacon is one... Actually, the word deacon, as far as I could find it, most of the places, if not all of the places, it's a verb. It's the ministry of deacon, Deaconizing, you could say. Not demonizing, but deaconizing. Uh, The Baptists have not got the right definitions. Uh, of those two words, they've got them mixed up, but you understand what I'm saying. It's 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 an active thing, being a deacon. It, it's not just a state of being, but it is something that is characteristic of an individual. He is deaconizing. He's always serving. That's 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 his existence. Does that make sense? Okay, so. First of all, let's, uh, let's just look at God's character. Let's walk through And let's just talk about God real quick. And uh, then we'll, we'll move on down and talk about deacons specifically. Am I losing you? Are you with me? I just wanted to say all that stuff so I could say it. All right. God's character. We'll just do this real, real quick. Uh, Exodus 34, 6 through 7. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord. The Lord God. Merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. Something that sort of backs that up is over in Second Peter uh chapter 3 verse 9 it says god is not slack concerning his promises as men consider slackness but he is long suffering willing that none should perish this references back to moses or excuse me noah and how he kept putting the flood off until the iniquity uh, of of the world was complete and he had to destroy the world but the point was, Jesus doesn't come back because he's long-suffering, waiting for more people to come into the kingdom of God. So the sort of the character of God, character being what you choose to do with your abilities, God has consistently chosen to be merciful and long-suffering. It's interesting, this is the second time that God appears on the mountain and gives the law. The first time he gave the law, it was a fearful, you know... Uh, thundering and lightning and this is the second time when Moses is back up there and he says but God let me see you and God gives him a revelation of who he is and so you get both his nature and his character in this description and so we have a God who is long suffering patient always laying his life down for others and so that, that character that nature results in certain actions This is who he is, and out of that comes certain actions. Now, God has always performed actions of mercy and grace, and provision and kindness, uh, ways of serving mankind. Uh, But the sort of the, the the pinnacle of it all is, of course, the crucifixion. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so in that, what you see is God serving man. It's, it's really interesting. 1 John 3.16 says that here in his love that God died for us, and if he died for us, we should also give our lives for one another. Isn't that interesting? Three sixteen, three sixteen. 3.16. 3.16. Uh, that's a good one to remember. God so loved us that he gave. Well, if God loved us, we should also love each other. Uh, But the whole point here is that the action that comes out of this being and character of God is that he chooses to lay his son down for you and for me. And, of course, by uh, extension, that becomes who we should, should be as well but but I've come to realize that God had to hit a home run in order for us to understand uh, his servanthood, but you know it goes I hate to it doesn't go way beyond Christ. you can't get beyond Christ, but it is much wider than that, and I don't think we understand how much God serves us and what what a servant God he is. So I, I looked at, I, I just jotted down a few things. Brent and I are, are taking care of Dad. You know, he's been uh, in the hospital. And we have, uh, we've been taking care of him. And it's really interesting. A lot of the things that we're doing with Dad would be the things that Mom and Dad did with us when we were little babies. Um, and everything from kind of holding his hand, watching him take his first steps... Catching him when he starts to fall and taking these new steps, uh, feeding him, uh, just you name it. There's a lot of things uh, that that we're doing that you would do uh, with a little baby. And so uh, I'm getting to stay there at night and I sleep in the same bedroom and just laying there. There's just such great joy in my heart to be able to serve my dad in that way. And it's really broadening my understanding of how much mom and dad served me when I was younger. Uh, I, uh, When I was about, oh, I think 20, 21 years old, I realized that I had not been as appreciative as I should be. And so I sent my dad a letter telling him uh, that it was my pride. Uh, I didn't want to acknowledge what I received from him. Uh, I wanted to point out how he could be a better man. Uh, that's also pretty typical of people. And so uh, he, he didn't respond. You know, men are kind of funny like that. So he didn't really respond. But uh, they moved when uh, when, we were, uh, when I was up here. Brent, were you living up here when they moved as well? Okay. So I went down there. We were moving. And I was helping move the bedroom furniture. I found that letter And this is about 15 years after I'd written it, laying by his bed. Uh, And then, uh, of course, two years ago they moved up here. And we were going through all of their stuff. And I found an envelope that had uh, two cards, which were Valentine cards from Mom, and this letter (laughs) in that envelope. Uh, And I've got it in my safe. Uh, And... uh, After I had my kids, I began to understand mom and dad even more. And now, with Brent and I getting to spend this time with dad, I'm understanding more and more and more how much my earthly father just poured his life out for me. You know, we talk about the cross and we're very thankful for it. But I think the older you get, the more you realize God has just served me in every breath of my life. We sing these songs, but until you get to the place that you realize every moment of your life is sustained by God, the Bible says that He gives cows grass to eat. Every blade of grass growing out there, God is stewarding that grass so a cow can eat it. And God knows where that cow is going to end up. The Bible says... He causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. There's a few verses. Psalm 115, verse 16 says, The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. If you'll think back in Genesis, the whole purpose of everything in the earth was so that man could be placed there. There's another verse that said, He created the earth to be inhabited. So, can you imagine? Have you ever bought a gerbil or a fish? I'll, I'll go with fish. Uh, a, a, a few of you were alive when aquariums were the big thing. You know, I'm going to get fish, and then all of a sudden you need an aquarium, a filter, rocks, and a little thing for them to hide behind, and some uh, live plants, and later on, plastic plants, because the live plants died. And then you get ick medicine. And then, you know, you aquarium... Uh, the and and filters, you know what they breathe, and then your every day you put food in there. All your whole life until those fishes die, you're doing everything for them. <coughs> Do you realize that God, God created you, and everything around you, He is manipulating, and creating, and using. So that you could eat biscuits and gravy this morning. Those came from God. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hold your breath. Hold your breath until I say quit. Now in a moment God is going to allow you to breathe. But if he decided not to. I'm waiting till there's one red face. Alright, you can quit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that breath. And the next breath, and the next breath. Out of heart of this is my creation. This is my son. This is my daughter. Here, here's some food. Here, here's rain in another part of the world so that you can have some grapes. And, hey, I've got this pig growing over in Arkansas. I'm giving that farmer breath so he can feed the pig, so the pig can go to market. And the older I get, the more I realize how much my earthly parents gave me, and the more thankful I am for every day. I've always read those things, you know. Think about it there in Matthew. Matthew. That's what it's saying. God, God has counted every bird. Amen. And He knows where that bird lives. And every flower, even those flowers up on those mountains where nobody ever sees them, God is clothing them every spring. Amen. Good. How much more are you? He's got your hairs counted. And so, yeah, Christ died for us to demonstrate to us that God is willing to fully give Himself and divest Himself of His greatest possession. But it's not just that. All day long, 24-7, God is serving us by giving to us those things that sustain our life. Yeah? So let's take a second and let's thank Him for that. Let, let's stop. And and just and and let that sink in and begin to bless God. Uh, can we do that out loud? A few people. God, you are good. You are gracious. Bless us, and uh, unless we slow down and take note. You bless us in the minute things, Father. We are so thankful for the small and the great things, Father. Mm -hmm. You are so good, Father. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Father, I think about as a mother all the times I did things for my kids and they weren't even aware of it. So, Father, we thank you for all of Father, we just bless you. God, I want to ask that you would incorporate into our declaration of you as Father an appreciation uh, for all that you do. Most of all for Christ, but Lord, uh, along with that, every breath, uh, every bite, every beautiful scene. Lord, this afternoon when we open these curtains, God, we're going to see a beauty that you created that we could admire and benefit from. And we bless you and acknowledge you for that. Lord, for every good gift that comes down from you, the Father of lights, with whom there is no changing or variableness of turning, we bless you for that and honor you for it. Hallelujah. And so here begins an understanding of what it means to be a deacon. <coughs> Of To be verbalized as a servant. To become one who exudes life to others. It's in who our Father is. And so the second point then is that as Christians we receive the nature of God. This is not a new teaching. I'm just reminding you of things before we talk about uh, God raising up some deacons among us. Um, if any man be in Christ, what is he? What's happened with old things? In Colossians, uh, it's not circumcision or uncircumcision that avails anything, but what is it? It's the new creation in in Christ. It's the fact that we are a new creation. In Romans, it tells us if we do not, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh if we walk in what? The Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God within us. We are created new creatures. New, cre- We have a whole new nature inside of us. And so when we think about the nature of God, uh, when we think about who God is, the Scripture says that it is Christ in us which is the hope of God being manifest in the earth and us attaining to the reflection of God. And so, there's so much about God that you can contemplate, but today we're contemplating the fact that He serves us by pouring out Christ and all good things so that we can come into relationship with Him. And so, I just want to look you in the eye this morning and tell you that inside of you the nature of a servant lives. If Christ lives inside of you, that same spirit that same Spirit that took Him to the cross and resurrected Him lives inside of you. And that's really all I want to say is to remind you of that truth. And to remind you that every time that we come to a place of action or a need in the church, we must first go back to an understanding of who God is. And then second of all, to this understanding that the the Spirit of death and resurrection lives inside of us Because of our new birth and everything that the Bible says that the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Christ bodily. And now it says that Christ lives inside of us. Everything that you saw God do in Christ, God can do in you and it lives inside of you. And so now we get back to Philippians chapter 2. There's a word there. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Yeah, we are born again. And I like what Paul says later on in this book. Hey, I've learned a lot of this stuff. And to the degree I've learned it, I'm coming into agreement with it. He uses the same word. I'm of the same mind. To the degree that I've learned it, I am agreeing with what I've learned, but there is a lot more to learn about what's inside of me, and so I am pressing on. What we get, we live, but we press on to know more. You with me? And so, uh, let me let me just look at the different places I jotted them down where uh, where it talks about uh, mind. Before I do that, so remember, Jesus said that. Uh, That he was, uh, he he explained to them about being servants. And then in verse 28 of that scripture I read, it says, You are they, did I lose you? Let me just go back and read it in context. So Jesus says, uh, Who is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. You are those who have continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint to you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay? So we have this new nature, but we also had this new calling. We have been called to be kings... We have been called to rule in the kingdom. Now see, you've got to be real careful when you say that. Because if we're living pre-Christ and we talk about ruling in the kingdom, we're going to get confused. It's going to be, praise God, let me tell everybody what to do. Yeah, i got a big amen from Josh over there. Uh, Does that make sense? Jesus said, If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to serve all. You guys have been with me through my temptations. And really, he's kind of speaking what's going to happen after the resurrection. Now, I'm going to give you your own kingdoms. But what do kings do in their kingdoms? They totally divest themselves in the kingdom of God. So I'm going to give you a place... Well, you can do exactly what I've done. I'm going to give you all of the resource of heaven so that you can totally deplete yourself for that kingdom that I've given you. That's what he did, and that's what we do. Does that make sense? It makes sense. But in the day-to-day, it is very difficult to live it out. And so, the mind... You know, Let me go ahead and go through those in Philippians now. So we're still in this part about our new calling. Our new calling is to rule like Jesus ruled, that is to lay our lives down for that place he's given us. But we have to come into agreement with it. That that word mind uh, is, is a way of, of, of wise thinking. Uh, it's a way of, of understanding and applying the way it should work, the way it is. Um, And so he says, I want you all to wade through all the issues and come to conclusions about how life should be lived in relation to situations. You're going to be living your life together. You've got to come... And if, if you want to go back to what Chad was sharing last night, you've got to come to the place that when you see who should serve who, who should do what, how we should live together, what we should lay down, you guys have all got to come to the same mind. So that there's there's not this competition or, or bitterness or striving, but you come to one mind. And, and he begins, I think somebody pointed it out last night, even as it meet for me to think of you all because I have you in my heart, Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of my grace. Uh, I don't even know why I wrote that one down. 2.2. Uh, two, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And so he wants you to be of one mind... But that way of thinking, that wisdom, ah, this is the way we should live. This is what we should do. The way you get that is you let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, verse 5. I want you all to have the same mind, but how do you get the same mind? I think somebody said it by the Spirit. What's that? Jonathan said that last night. Yeah. And also, I think uh, uh, Ben followed up with it. Both, both of us followed up with that same point. I think this is a word of the Lord for all of us. This is where I was headed, and I think the Spirit of God confirmed it last night. Chad laid a marvelous uh, foundation for, for, for our understanding of how we're going to move into this time on a lot of things. <laughs> but if we're going to be of one mind, it is going to be by the Spirit, it's not going to be through debate. It's not going to be through the smartest person. It's going to be by the Spirit of God. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And so we have to come and empty ourselves of ourselves, of our own criticism, of our own consumerism, of, I just remember those two because they have C's. What are the other three? Copying what, condemnation. and condemnation is for. Yep. Copying. We can't be copycats. I don't think we'll have time to get to it, but, 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 um, uh, the young man over there sitting next to Dawn—I forget your name, Kelly. Kelly has a teaching on copying uh, that's great. If, if we don't get around to it, uh, we'll send it to you. We can't just copy what everybody does. Uh, we can't just what is it confirm? We can't consume. We can't take what everybody else is doing and, and consume it. We, we we can't interpret everything. Our mind, our wisdom, our understanding of how the life in Christ is can't be. Oh, Christ, just anything that's good we take it and use it for ourselves. We also can't be critical. We can't just always talk about how bad other things are and therefore not participate. Does that make sense? We've got to have the same mind and how we do it. We've got to get out of our personalities. And we've got to get into Christ and into the Spirit. And we'll get the same mind. But remember, there's a lot in God. And we're talking about coming into agreement with the fact that our God pours himself out Completely for the rest of the world. See, I just want to talk about deacons, but this is where I get in trouble. I can't just say, this is how you do it. I've got to go all the way back to God. I've got to go all the way back to, listen, if we do anything because uh, it's just the thing to do, we miss it. We've got to understand that we've got to cultivate this life of Christ in us. So I feel like I've done that enough uh, to move on. Look up that word, I think it's froneo, uh, in your strongs, and just look at the different places and how, how Paul uses that word, coming to the same wisdom uh, in, uh, in Philippians. Alright, so this gets us to the specific office that we're looking to fulfill. We're looking to come up with deacons, right? People that deaconize, uh, people that do the work of a deacon. Use the office of deacon. What have I got down here? Oh, biblically? Alright. Um, well, again, biblically, when, when I looked through it, uh, the word that's that's translated as deacon is also translated as servant. Um, and it doesn't it, it doesn't get formalized as an office really until Paul does it in Timothy. Uh, it doesn't necessarily talk about deacons. Um, and it only becomes an office here as as Paul is setting up the churches and he's giving authority in the church to specific people to make contracts and to uh, disperse funds, okay? Before that, it's just a general word that's talking about everybody's. Everybody deaconizes, and it's interesting. The first place uh, that they that really it looks like they identify <coughs> particular people and put them uh, put them in the church is there in chapter what is it in Acts seven or eight? Uh, I think I've got it written down here. 6, then the twelve called, 6-2, then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom you may appoint over this business. What had happened? The church was growing. As the church grew, there was necessity in the practical care of the church. And it was out of necessity that they said, Hey, guys, it's getting too much for the guys that are doing the teaching to do the teaching and the setting up of the tables. Actually, this word comes uh, from a word originally that means to, to set or to wake tables. And so it really goes back to the original meeting and this, this first uh, appointing of these guys, okay, to do this work. So America says that the 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 teachers shouldn't have to do all the deaconizing. They don't have time to do it. Let's find some other people that can do that part to set them free. But it was out of necessity. And, and it's interesting, two of the guys, what was going on, the... Uh, the Gentile or the Greek women uh, were not getting their fair share as they were taking care of the the widows in uh, in the congregation there in Jerusalem, and so they chose these guys. And it seems as though these these guys uh, were were Hellenist. Uh, they weren't part of that that Jewish church uh, in uh, in uh, Jerusalem, uh, but they were they were uh, Hellenist. And so, it's interesting, two of the people are Stephen and Philip. Where did did we last talk about Philip? Philip was talking to that Ethiopian eunuch. And so, this group of men who were pulled apart, and this is where I I, want to emphasize that being a deacon is not just doing a task. It is representing God and who He is. And if you in your service represent God and who He is, number one, you're going to bring great revival like Philip did. And number two, you're going to get persecuted like Stephen did. And some mix of that. May you all be 100% Philip and 0% Stephen until the time's right. And so out of this original choosing of people that were full of the Holy Ghost and faith to serve the tables, their lives eventually led thousands to the Lord and became part of the, the blood of the martyrs that's crying out to God right now for judgment of the world. Yeah? Does that make sense? So what we're calling us to here is not... Well, we got some work that needs to be done. who's willing to do it? So we said that um, biblically uh, the office of deacon begins with general servanthood, uh, but then Paul identifies people that are set in um, in Timothy. It had happened back in Acts, But it's kind of given this name for the first time, or as far as I can tell. And it says, you've got to be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. By the way, the mystery of the faith is that Christ was God in the flesh crucified and resurrected. And then it talks about their wives. And then it says, you've got to have raised your family. You've got to have raised your family. And this is where I come back to where where I, I started uh, in the beginning. Or I mentioned a short while ago. I think it's only after you've given yourself fully to a family that you totally understand what it means to care for the household of God. As a father, you don't skip <coughs> work because you don't feel well. As a father... You don't make your wife have to go out and do the work that you're supposed to do because you don't want to. As a father, you don't watch the TV shows you want. As a father, you pour your life out to see your children do well and to see your wife cared for. And if you do that well, your wife won't be a gossip. She won't be a slanderer. She will follow your lead and your children will do the same. And I think, I think when Paul says this, he realizes it's very hard for young men to realize I belong to a household. This household owns me. Does that make sense? And so young men, you know, you got to come to an understanding that you haven't been thankful for the stuff that's been given to you. And become thankful. And as you get a little older. You're going to have to realize. Whoa. There's people who went before me. Who set up chairs. And paid bills. And made this possible for me. And one day. One day when you're really really old. You might begin to understand. How much was done on your behalf. And you may begin to understand. What it's going to cost you. To do on behalf of the people of God. Does that make sense? And so as we, as we move toward finding deacons, that's going to come as we recognize who God is and recognize what's inside of us. And we begin to cultivate the spirit for these acts of service and care and pouring our lives out for people by doing things that nobody will ever know and not being known for it. Does that make sense? Uh, There was another verse in Peter, and I didn't look it up, but I know it says this. You that, that preach the word, preach as the oracles of God. And you that serve, serve as by the power or the grace of God. In other words, the anointing to preach powerfully is put on parallel with the anointing to serve. Uh, powerfully, Amen. and so this is a very spiritual thing. It's it's Christian growth, and so the steps that we need to be moving into. And now I'm going to go on down to this that's, list. That's Peter go ahead and read that. First Peter four eleven. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever, and ever. Hallelujah. Praise and dominion forever and ever. Because of not just the preaching kind of thing, but the people who set up chairs that nobody will ever know about. And you've got to get to the place that you find anointing and, and joy, not as men-pleasers with eye service, But you meet with God as you do those things. Until that happens, it'll kill you trying to be doing, serving things. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. All right. Anybody want to add something to that before we talk about the practical things? Okay. What we're looking for are spirit-filled men anointed and moved by the Spirit of God to do things that none of us will ever see or know. How many of you all would like a new anointing of the Spirit? Daniel, wouldn't it be funny if this new thing that God wanted to do that doesn't look like anything we've ever seen before was to release an anointed group of deacons, servants, servants, that the world never saw and you couldn't put it on the internet and it was unsung and it changed the world. How powerful would that be? How powerful would that be if every person in here rose up in the anointing as servants of God, serving one another as He served us, pouring our lives out. I I would almost say, and I'm not prophesying, but I would almost say, if it's going to be something that hasn't been seen before, or something that we wouldn't expect, (laughs) I'd say this is a good candidate for God to move. Especially in the culture in which we live. It is the anointing that is on this body. And it is the thing that draws people to this body. And uh, we need to stir it up. That's and again, I think the reason a lot of people resist it is because they hear teachings about you need to serve and they set out to try to do it. That's right. And they don't press into God and receive the quickening of the Spirit inside of them. And therefore, it's a work to please God rather than living in God back to His glory. And that's the way we got to do it with everything we do. So we're slow to get to the place that we finally do stuff because we, we start moving there and all of a sudden it becomes a thing rather than God. And So we really need God to move in this, Kent. If it's going to happen, it can't be because we create a law and, and shoehorn people into it. It's got to be because God moves let me talk to you about some of the things and see if God doesn't stir your heart. First of all, Mexico. There is no one who lives the life of Christ that I know any more, any more clearly than Pedro Basilio. Uh, the Mexican Mexico ministry began with us really in about, uh, I would say, 1989. And we have been connected ever since. And God has added to them, if you put our three churches together, uh, that's about the size of the church down there that started with Peter and his family. And so they are very much a mirror, at least in size, to us. Uh, the first ten years, we went down two or three times a year with medical teams. We committed ourselves to do it for ten years. And it got started. But let me tell you uh, right now where we are with love. We were, we'd had we'd, we'd gone on to... Wait, let me just stop a second. Any thoughts about deacons in general or service in general before we go through this list? Ben, anything to add? Dan? Chad? Anybody? I think it's good. I think that there's, uh, there's an anointing that's there to be pressed into it is very much spiritual and it's very much supernatural and miraculous and reflective of God (laughs) and signs and wonders kind of way yeah Uh, People are transported by the Spirit, and people see Christ standing at the right hand of God in the midst of this ministry. Yeah, yeah, Dan. Yeah. Anything else? All right. So that's that's what we're doing. We're seeking God. It's going to manifest it. Now remember, where it first got applied, at least in the book of Acts, that we see, is there was a need. And so they searched out and found people full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. And they appointed them to take care of those kinds of things. And they received that ministry. Let me give you a quick list before we go any further. They owned it. They didn't have somebody coming and reminding them that this needs to be done. They owned it. Secondly, I think they owned it for life. It doesn't tell you that there, but if we're going to do these things... It can't be something that you do for a little while like tennis and move on. There's a lot of people who are very curious and they do stuff for a while and then they get it going really well and then they leave it and because people have decided have become dependent upon it the true servants come in and continue to do what they've decided they don't want to do anymore. So ownership, longevity, And you can't be doing it to be seen. You can't do it... Everybody knows this about me. I don't motivate people (coughs) by responding to their need to be motivated. If it's yours and God's given it to you, your motivation has got to come in the closet. Not because people say, good job. Just for the fun of it, we're in a room full of leaders. We can be honest with each other. How many of you all have taken on a responsibility? Done it for a month, six months, maybe almost a year. And it was like nobody even realized you were doing it and it just made you mad. Raise your hand. Raise it real high. The rest of y'all need to take on some responsibility. (laughs) (laughs) It's because we were doing it to, to some degree, and notice my hand was up, uh, we were doing it to some degree with a sense of being recognized for it. And we didn't find our joy in the Father and participating with Him as He did that. Tom? Can I, in Matthew chapter 6... Speak up so Dan can hear you back there. In Matthew chapter 6... Dan needs to listen to you. ...that, that Jesus taught on. all three of those it starts out that you don't do that they see yeah. for you get for the thing you've had in the world But do it in secret so that your father which is in heaven will see it in the secret the mm-hmm. that's one of the most precious ways to live um, and if you're not living in a place where God as is ministering to you in the closet then you're missing one of the greatest blessings of Christianity I'm telling you this is a supernatural thing I'm talking about this is God moving in the hearts of men and women to all of you millennials life changes and you pick up a new thing and you go on But somebody is still putting the bread on the table. Somebody is still setting up the chairs. And it's something contrary to your nature. And you're going to have to change your mind. You're going to have to gain a new wisdom. And you're going to have to realize, no, life is not the newest, latest thing. Life is me being bound as a servant for the rest of my life to the little purpose of God that He's given me. If we can get this move of God in our church, I'm telling you, it will revolutionize the work and multiply it exponentially. Yeah? Alright. So, let's talk about these things real quick and see see if the Lord doesn't put something in your heart. Kent, you want to say anything about deacons in general? All right, Mexico, is it 11 o'clock yet? 20 minutes. Okay. Uh, Mexico, uh, we began in 89. Uh, the reason we backed off in the last, oh, probably eight years is because of the, the cartels that have come into Ayutla. And let me just give you basically what we've done there. we built the church building. We've built Peter's house. We did it with finances from here and we helped in some of the constructions. Uh, we've gone, and we've done medical teams. We were starting to do surgery teams. Our commitment was to meet Pedro's salary for the first 10 years and then see what we would do after that. Right now, we are uh, sending half of it down to Peter, and the other half we are putting into uh, a retirement fund uh, for uh, probably for but, uh And so they didn't need the whole the whole uh, amount right now. And so those are the things we've been doing. But things have stagnated for two reasons. One, I've gotten busy, and there hasn't been anyone who has said, I'm going to own those medical teams and make them happen. Uh, And we need to, to make a decision. Either we're going to continue the ministry in Mexico and find some people whose heart is stirred up and they feel called to that, uh, or we need to just say that we're not going to do it anymore. Uh, and so we've got to uh, we've got to see if there's anything here in God, uh, in your hearts, for Mexico. It's a great opportunity. Uh, they will be planting another church soon, I'm sure, and it's a great opportunity to serve in missions. And we believe God gave it to us, but we need to. Either say it's time for us to, for us as a church to quit, and for me to continue to be friends with Peter, or for us to engage it uh, and and be faithful to the ministry that God's given us. Um, but the reason, the second reason though that has been on hold in this last oh uh, eight years, has has been because of the cartels. But right now, I need to share this with you that. Some of the churches that Peter is associated with uh, in the area, uh, the cartel has come to them. The cartel has already enacted a tax on uh, the taxi drivers and most of the businesses. And they're starting to kill people who don't pay uh, their tax. And they've already come to some of the churches and they've threatened to kill the pastor if they don't pay uh, this, this tax. Uh, that they're imposing on them. And so it's pretty dangerous right now. Uh, and so we need to wade through how we want to relate to that. Uh, and Peter asks us to pray for him. So before the weekend's out, we'll be praying. Peter's pretty sure the guy's on his way to see him. Uh, and I'm not saying that we would at all pay that tax. We wouldn't. Uh, I doubt Peter will. But we need to pray about that. So. The, the other thing that we do in Mexico, I just remembered, is uh, there's one widow down there that we, we care for. Her, na- her, her name is Santa, and she was married to Antonio, which was Peter's right-hand man who died of cancer about uh, three, four years ago. And so one of the things that I've mentioned, and it hasn't really captured anybody's heart, uh, but we need somebody who would take an interest in the widows down there Go down, meet Santa and her kids and help us be faithful to that ministry and there's probably two or three others uh, that are in the same situation uh, with husbands that have passed away and need for, for us to help. So we kind of match what the church is doing down there in helping the widows. So that's Mexico and opportunities there. The Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe uh, let me just mention that quickly. Uh, it is not just the ballet. Uh, our goal and our hope is that we can use that as a catalyst to motivate other churches uh, but also to create some opportunities within our congregations uh, to use Lewis uh, as an evangelistic tool uh, by starting uh, book clubs with *Line Witch and the the Chronicles of Narnia Uh, and then our hope is uh, to do a Lewis conference uh, once a year again uh, those kinds of things when you're doing them as people come to town uh, and they seek those out, they find you and who you are and then you get an opportunity to partner with them in the work of the kingdom and, uh, and often times those kind of people will end up at the church so Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe it's a big production, takes a lot of work, uh, it would be nice to find people who were giving 10 year commitments to that, uh, you know I told Sarah that I would be committed to it for 10 years uh, and see where we are at that point. You know, you you, you start, and you see where it grows. Uh, but we have great hope. It's grown by about uh, four or 500 people every year, and Ben gave a report on it. So it's a great opportunity. Um, JCF Building. If two of you young men went to the JCF Building every week, you would not keep it in perfect repair. That's how much work needs to go on out there. Uh, and I know anytime we we call for help, you know, we always get a couple guys that come and do the job. But we really uh, need some guys who will take that on and say, hey, we need to make sure this building stays in repair and is improved, you know. Uh... But even more than that, the camp, um, talk about an opportunity to serve. Uh, there is always opportunity to serve there. I could go and work full-time between now and the end of this year and never get everything finished that needs to be done at the camp. Uh, so we could be out there every weekend if somebody had the wherewithal uh, to, to motivate and to uh, direct and to to make that happen. Does that make sense? Um, There's a lot of work that needs to be done there. We're looking for people who say, I want to give myself to that. And I I, I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I want to be doing so much that I couldn't do any more if somebody told me what to do. Does that make sense? All right. Yes. Oh, yeah. Probably going to be the next couple of years where we'll figure out how we're going to live. Oh, yeah. There are so many opportunities to live differently in how we do Uh, things. We're just trying to put together a list of guidelines. Uh-huh. Uh huh. There, from here to there, in three different churches, and so if somebody really wanted to figure out how to live together, go to there. Amen. That the, there's there's two or three different places that we need people. One is cleaning. One is grounds. One is what Kent is talking about: overall direction, and the other is is the ongoing maintenance uh, of the stuff. Uh, and what Kent is talking about is is really being the man and woman there who come across all of these different ideas. And have to help navigate those so that we can, so that we can complete our project of living together. So think about that. That that is. I'm really excited about what's going to happen there. Um, UCF. Everybody knows what UCF is. Um, you know, traditionally, uh, there have been a few people who have made that theirs and held it for five years, ten years. Um, but it is a worthy place to be a deacon, and that is table kinds of things, meals at the beginning, the outreach kind of things. Uh, I don't know how all that stuff even happens in the church anymore. But I gotta believe there's some people who know how those meals and outreach work, and they just make it happen. Uh, and I know at the end of that week they are worn out. Uh, but you know you can you can think in terms of that, and that can be part of the niche that you could. Deaconize yourself, um, men's breakfast, church vacation. Uh, that is an ongoing event. It's going to happen every three years and you we could put a year's work into making it right. You would be amazed at how much work it took uh, to, to get that to happen. Uh, the first year Karen put it together, she was uh, my assistant and then this last time, I think Ben, did you work on that one? No, it was only one. Well, there's another one coming up. And I think Karen had two or three people working with her on that. But boy, if somebody could catch it in their heart, I want to make that church vacation uh, consistent and uh, fruitful and all that it's supposed to be. Boy, what an opportunity. What a ministry. Um, I've got another thing on here called care. We're getting to the place that... uh, the kind of stuff here's our philosophy about orphans and widows uh, and, and, and benevolence we don't want to start a widow's ministry or an orphanage or a benevolence fund we want to make sure that we take care first of all of the household of God and there's this real idealistic view of widows, now, where can I find widows to take care of, yet at the same time in our own body, people who are in similar situations don't get taken care of, um, and I think if there was uh, anybody here who wanted to say, hey, I want to make sure all of our single women are taken care of, or I want to make sure, this, this is supposed to happen in home groups, but sometimes a home group gets overwhelmed and they can't care for everything that's there. And so if, you, if you're one of these people who think orphanage, uh, uh, widows, uh, you might want to begin to think about how you can meet the demanding needs of these bodies uh, when those things occur. People who are sick, people who need rides, those sorts of things. It is a miserable ministry. it's much more fun to direct an orphanage than it is to meet the needs of people that are demanded of you rather than something you volunteer to do. And so there's just more of that and special events. Anytime there's a special event, uh, there is a lot of work that goes into it. Uh, They don't just happen. And so I just want to throw a few of those things out there where you can see we as the leaders need to be examples of a servant's heart, to throw ourselves into these things And not to see ourselves as above it, uh, but to see ourselves as fathers and mothers. And it's our responsibility to faithfully uh, give ourselves to these things. And I think as we do that, as we release this anointing among us, uh, that we're going to see people emerge that have uh, sort of the, the, the excellence that's necessary for us to lay hands on them and call them deacons. Does that make sense? All right. So here's how it's going to work. When we announce these things as we move along, every person in here, as the team, we need to make sure they're taken care of. And if nobody else does it, you do it. Period. End of discussion. That's the way the responsibility of a deacon works. Does that make sense? Uh, And we will see uh, in these months that come where that is, and, and where that rises to a level of excellence. Not, I will do something two times, but, hey, that needs to be done. I'm going to go do it and make sure uh, that it's cared for as long as I'm here. Does that make sense? So that's where we're headed. It's it's And it's got to be an anointing of God. You've got to let God get you if that's going to happen. All right. So there you go, Ken. I got back to the... the uh, Decade of the Deacons, sir.